Believe it or not, I'd like to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2. You pretty much probably have it memorized by now. But it is an amazing chapter, and we're going to be talking a little bit from Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, We're having communion today as well. Traditions are really important, and we can never let traditions come over the word of God like they did with Israel. But the traditions of the Advent candles and the celebration of Advent, I don't know, this has been a very enjoyable Advent for me. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, talking about the various hymns or carols that we've talked about. And it's just helped me to really focus on the things that are important. And... um, so having communion today is, is really appropriate because Jesus Christ came to die. He was born to die. And that was decided before the foundation of the world. So um, it's a joy that we get to celebrate communion t- today as well. Well, I'm sure somebody has maybe asked you if you've got the Christmas spirit. Have you got the Christmas spirit? And what what do I mean and what do others mean when they ask that question? I think it's safe to say that they're talking about a sense of nostalgia, to be honest with you, of good and pleasant experiences in the past that you may have experienced and associated with Christmas. And therein could be a reason for some depression because it's not as good as it was back when you had that Christmas spirit in that unidentifiable unidentifiable time. I was up really late last night celebrating Christmas. Pray for your pastor. Maybe it was decorating a tree together with other family members. For some, it might be going to church at Christmas Eve and holding lit candles. Maybe it was just a long walk in a snowy wonderland where the moonlight caught the ice particles in the snow and everything just glistened with millions of points of light. I don't know if you've been out at night lately with as cold as it's been and the snow that we've had. It's just exquisite, beautiful. Whatever it may be, it was a time in the past. And it's not without effort. Many attempt to bring back those memories and create new ones that can be looked upon with a sense of deep satisfaction, a Christmas spirit. But for some, such a question is annoying, right? Because either they don't have fond memories of Christmas past, or they're not in a very good place right now. And a Christmas spirit is actually an intrusion into their misery. And talking about it is an intrusion Every year as a pastor, I'm cautioned by someone, at least once, to remember, not everybody's happy at this time, Pastor. Be careful that you don't make them feel worse by only talking about the joy of Christmas. Many are facing deep depression. I'm not disparaging the intensely sad and devastation that is depression. It exists, I agree. But as a preacher of the good news, I live to proclaim hope and joy. 
No matter what the source of the depression, sadness, loneliness, or any other devastating human emotion we may be experiencing, there is hope for you in the good news of the gospel of grace. That's why it's good news. Many biblical evangelicals take a very dim view on emotion. As though we need to keep as far away from it as possible. It could be because um, biblically sound evangelical pastors were on a forefront dealing with the quasi-new Pentecostalism that came about during the years of charismatic theology and so forth. And it, it, it undermined a lot of Bible-believing churches with a lot of emotion. I don't think that's a good reason to poo-poo emotion. <laughs> I think it's a bad reason. Deal with the problem, but don't throw emotion out. I think emotion in the Bible and the intensity of that emotion is difficult to deny. Jesus himself experienced human emotion deeply. He wept. He wept. He grieved. He felt distress in Gethsemane and became troubled at the death of his friend Lazarus. He experienced the full orb of human emotion, yet without sin. You see, he also greatly rejoiced when he saw the 70 disciples minister in the power of God. All these you can look up in the scripture, they're there. He was filled with peace and he offered it freely in John 14, 27. My peace I give unto you. And rest, which he also offers, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you my rest. In the supreme emotion of love, he exercised toward his disciples in the world, loving them to the end, John 13, 1. Now, of course, love is much more than an emotion. I know that. Don't, don't come up and talk to me afterwards. It's not just this gushy feeling that we have. God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son, it is an act, it is a verb. But we also know that that love can be experienced and it fills us with something called emotion. Well, whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, I'm here to tell you today that emotion and feelings were a definite part of the first Christmas, the night that Christ was born. And, and I'd like to look at just two of them together with you this Christmas day. And the first is a sense of fear that was experienced on that night. And the second is a sense of amazement. And we can see both sentiments clearly in the Christmas story. So turn to Luke 2 if you're not there and let me read once again to you. Listen, it's okay if you've heard it once or twice or 14 times. Okay, it's good. And when you get home, you should read it again. Because it's Christmas Day. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first consensus uh, taken while Quinarius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph, who also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So you had to go to your own city where you were born and register for the census, and that's what they did. Now, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Her water broke? I don't know. It, it happened. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, which is an intense light, right? And they were terribly frightened, terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angel And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So Get the picture, okay, they went and saw Mary and the baby, and they confirmed that what they had been told by the angel was true, and then they left. Well, they had to get back to their sheep. And as they left, they told people about what they had seen and what they had experienced. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But, contrast, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, as we just take a quick look at this beautiful text, recorded for us by Dr. Luke, who is fastidious about the facts and laying them out for us in a way that we would not forget. Thank you. Thank you that we have this story of Christmas. Father, let it rise up new and fresh in our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first feeling that I want to talk about is the sense of fear or feeling of fear. Uh, In verse 9, we see that the shepherds were terribly frightened. Why were they so afraid, do you think? 
You might have thought that it was the angel of death that appeared to them rather than the angel that brought good tidings, good news of life. God initiated a supernatural appearance. And it always seems to elicit this kind of response, fear. Ever notice that in the Bible? Whenever there's a a miraculous appearing or some type of supernatural appearing, the constant response is fear. It was so with Moses when he met God at the burning bush. We read that Moses hid his face for he was afraid. Israel was afraid in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. I think all of us would have been afraid at Mount Sinai. When seeing the presence of God in the mount, we read, So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were there in the camp trembled. They weren't saying, Oh, praise God! They were scared out of their wits. And if you think about that, that mountain, okay, I don't think it was like the Rockies, right? These were large hills. Think, think Pennsylvania, okay? These are large hills. And that hill was completely engulfed with clouds. And the way I understand it from studying that, those clouds were roiling like water that boils. They're all roiling, and, and there's th- sound of thunder breaking, and lightning is coming out of it. And the sound of a trumpet? That sound was a sound that started like a trumpet, like Michael was playing today, and then it got awful because it just got louder and louder and louder and louder with all that other stuff, and all the people trembled. It was the same way after Yahweh spoke with Joshua. He had to assure himself And God assured him, I should say, and said, do not tremble or be dismayed, Joshua. Because there is an appearance of God to Joshua. The Hebrew word for dismayed is from the nephal stem in Hebrew, and it means to be broken apart, disintegrating. God was saying, don't disintegrate on me now here. I know this was awesome. Just hold it together a bit. It's what Isaiah felt as he saw Yahweh sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. You read uh, Isaiah's words often, probably, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, for I am ruined. That word ruined means to be discombobulated. He is disintegrating before God's holiness and righteousness. Manoah, the father of Samson, after meeting the angel of the Lord, candidly told his wife, Oh, I can just hear him. Oi, we're going to die. For we have seen God. Okay, that's the response. It slays me. Um, maybe some of the evangelical pastors I talked about at the beginning of the sermon that were pushing back against some of these charismatic experiences We're doing so because some of these experiences are recorded on TV for us, and you hear a man saying, I was shaving this morning, and I met with Jesus, my homeboy. My gosh. If he would have met with Jesus, his homeboy, he would have dropped his razor at least. Okay? You don't mess around with God. 
And these miraculous appearances always elicit a sense of fear. Why do men react this way when they see a supernatural appearing of an angel or a manifestation of God? Why is fear the very first response? I think we just go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, and we see quite clearly why it is. Because Adam was never afraid of God, but he walked with him in fellowship in the cool of the garden until he sinned. It was only after he had sinned against God that he became afraid of God. God came to the garden after he had sinned, and Adam hid himself, didn't he? And when God asked Adam, where are you? Why have you hidden yourself? Adam said it was because I was afraid. Well, why was he afraid? Because he had sinned. Sin is what is behind that sense of dread and fear when God is close. Okay? That's why they disintegrate when they see an appearance of God, because they're sinful. I long for that sense of fear. I prize that sense of fear. I've only experienced a couple times, deep in prayer, where I just sensed his presence, and it was so, so awful, in a good sense. What's it going to be like in heaven? Maybe that's why we have to have glorified bodies to be there, because otherwise we'd just disintegrate before him. That kind of fear, and I'm not talking about reverential respect, because the fear of the Lord is beginning in wisdom. It's not talking about a phobia or, or a fear, that kind of fear. The fear of God that's being talked about here is actually fear, fear. It's a scared, afraid, right? And that kind of fear was embedded in the worldview of the Israelite to fear God in that sense. They didn't call out to him as Abba. They never addressed him as Heavenly Father. They did not yet know the promise that we revel in, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Israel didn't know that. That's for us, right? And you see, it's right here on Christmas, that that whole mindset, that whole worldview is destroyed and set aside. Something new has come. Do not be afraid, the angel said. This is a new day. This is a whole new thing. This is a new age, and God sent his angels to announce it to the poor, uneducated, working men in the field. Don't be afraid, he said. This is the opening words for the new age of God's grace. We're living in an age of grace, the church age. It's a new beginning prophesied of old. Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, came into the world and took on flesh, and he made a way for people to be free from their captivity to fear. We do not need to be afraid anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation. God made a way back to him, available to us, back to the intimate fellowship that Adam enjoyed with him before he sinned. 
And it is sin that causes us to shrink back from God or any proximity to him because he is holy and we know innately, innately know in our heart of hearts that we are not holy. But what do we do? We have to go to the word of God. We have to hang on to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. We have to in faith believe what God says that if we are in Christ, everything's covered. Our sinfulness has been taken away. Every single sin, past, present, and future, has been laid on the back of our Savior, and he has borne that on the cross, and we don't bear it anymore. So we don't need to be afraid. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is. Just think of yourself and all the sins that you've committed. Just think about it. What if we could be rid of it? What if there was some way to put to death that fear? Wouldn't it be wonderful if a champion could rush in and save us from that terrible sense of dread before a holy God? Yes, a thousand times yes, we'd say. What a marvelous and life-altering thing it would be to finally be free and no longer a slave to our fear, able to approach God with confidence. What a miracle, right? Well, what did the angel tell those poor shepherds on that windswept hill in the middle of the night? Don't be afraid anymore. Why? Because today there's been born for you. How personal. There's been born for you a savior. And so you know who it is. I'll tell you his name. It's Christ the Lord. He was born on that Christmas morning. So this is great news. It brings with it mega joy. And better yet, it is for you if you'll receive it. It is for you, very personal, very individual. You don't get it because you're in the family of Christians. You don't get it because you go to Beacon of Hope or whatever our church you go to. You get it because you have realized you're so sinful that your sin brought the Son of God to earth, born to die for that sin. And when you realize that and you humble yourself and admit it, then you can have the joy and be rid of the fear. Well, secondly... Well, just let me read one verse that will encourage your heart, okay? Because this is what Christmas is all about. It's a message of Christmas, and it addresses every person's feeling of fear by removing it from them, him or her, it doesn't matter, young or old. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's a promise. God has not given us a spirit of fear We have not received a spirit of slavery leading us to fear again, but we have received a spirit of adoption as sons. And so we can say, Papa, Abba, Father. (laughs) The Old Testament Israelites knew nothing of that. Nothing at all. We can say, Abba, Father. So let me say to you, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, not happy holidays. Merry Christmas, 
Okay? It's all wrapped up in Christ. Now, secondly, the feeling of amazement. Because there's another feeling within the Christmas story that goes in the opposite direction from the fear. And that's why I chose these two, because they kind of contrast each other. There is more. Oh, there is more in the story of emotion, but I'm not going to go there. Another word that describes this feeling of amazement is wonderment. Wonderment. Okay? There's a wonderful little trail of this emotion in Luke 2. And follow along with me, if you will. So look at 2.19. Well, let me read just a little bit. So 2.18, we got, and all who heard it. What is it? It's referring to the news that the shepherds brought to people, right? They spread it about on their way back to their sheep. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Contrast. But Mary treasured all these things pondering them in her heart. And so we've got this sense of wonderment here. After the angel's message, the shepherds seemed like they weren't really being received that much because these people wondered at the news that they brought them. Now, you say that wonder, what do you, what do you, where, why do you think that they didn't receive the news? Well, because there's a contrast in the very next verse. In verse 19, it says, but... It's contrasted. Mary received the news, all the things that was happening, the words that the shepherds brought to her. She received them and treasured them in her heart in contrast to those people that the shepherds had told about it. They just wondered at it. It's amazing. You could say that they were incredulous. There was a sense of disbelief in their wondering, like, what are they talking about? You see, Mary treasuring them, that it's a compound word in the Greek, and it means uh, soon is together, and tereo, soon tereo is the the Greek word, tereo means to guard or to keep. So Mary reflected deeply and carefully on the words that the shepherds brought, keeping them in her mind and safely storing them up so to speak, so she wouldn't forget them. And it's in the imperfect tense. This is why language is really important. Words are really important. And in the original, it's in the imperfect tense of the verb, and it pictures Mary bringing these thoughts to her mind again and again and again. She's just seeing it over and over and over again. And this contrasted with the others that heard the news from the shepherds, and they just wondered at it. They did not take it to heart. Not unlike a lot of Americans that know this story forwards and backwards. They just like, what's it all about? Oh, it's about a great dinner that we have on Christmas. It's about getting together with family. It's about presents that we get. Excuse me? No wonderment there. (laughs) Just a kind of, hmm. No treasuring. And it says she pondered. It's another compound word, sambalo. Sambalo, sun is the same 
prefix that we had before. It, it means to come together, bring together. And balo means to throw. So she's throwing together these things. She treasured them and she pondered them. What that means basically is from the angelic announcement, she would have the baby, even through, uh, though she was a virgin, all the way to what the shepherds told her. She's taking all these things and putting them together in her mind, in her heart. Can you imagine? She's young. She's maybe 12, 13 years old. And it's interesting that this story says that they went to the census to check in at the census, and she was engaged to Joseph, okay? And she is pregnant. If you look at the beginning of the story, it's exactly what it says. They hadn't even gotten married yet. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's something to bear. And she did. But she's taking all this together. She brought them together. One commentator said it like this. I like this. Mary had nurtured amazement for nine months. Okay? She's thinking about this as this baby's growing in her womb. And now she's nurturing these experiences in her mind. Experiencing that gradually became treasured memories and each showing something new and different about her son, each confirming Gabriel's promise of greatness for this son of David, the son of the Most High. Women live in their minds. Guys, I don't know if you know this. If you don't, poor you. But they take things and they just mold them over and over and over. Young Mary is doing exactly that with all of this. Now, I want to take you on the next step of this journey, okay? The next step of this this trail of amazement. And we need to go down to verse 33. I want to read to you, beginning at verse 21. I just want to read you this, because it goes a little bit further than Christmas night. Eight days later, before his circumcision... His name was then called Jesus because the name was given to the angel before he was conceived in the womb, verse 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to the Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it was written in the law, Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So you have to present him to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law, of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and a devout man looking for the consolation of Israel. Consolation of Israel is Messiah, because when Messiah came, he would console Israel and they would experience a time of refreshing. And the Holy Spirit was upon this man, Simeon, and it happened. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, he's not going to die, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, Christ. And he came, to the, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him, Simeon took him into his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now, okay, Mary, 12, 13 years old, with her newborn baby, eight days old, right, is walking into the temple, and this old guy, probably a beard down to here, maybe like Jim's, right, longer, 
okay? He takes the baby out of her arms. Well, that's freaky, number one. That's, that's intense. She doesn't know Simeon. Takes the baby, and this is what he says. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. Yikes. More fear, maybe. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh-oh, something's coming around. It's a little bit, it's in her memory, all these things she's pondering. Salvation, my baby, he's going to bring salvation. He's the son of the Most High, right? Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now he's going back to the Old Testament, quoting things that Mary would know because she was devout. And the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were what? Amazed. <laughs> they, there's the wonderment. They were amazed at the things which were being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow. They were amazed at what they were hearing. And they continued on this journey and when you, you, you continue on, you see, as they return to Nazareth, going a little bit further in the journey, right? When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They were very devout people. And when he became 12, now he's 12 years old, so we've got the birth of Jesus Christ and the announcements by the shepherds causing amazement to Mary, and she's pondering and, and treasuring these things in her mind. And then eight days later, the Simeon guy and Anna, I didn't read Anna's words, Anna's words were beautiful too, and that happens at eight days. Now we're going all the way to 12 years old. He's 12 years old, and they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending a full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. You know, I love the way the Jews do things, right? They went up every year, okay, to celebrate, and they celebrated because they all went in a group. Road trip! Seriously. And they sang as they went, and they ate as they went, and then they went and they did their things that they had to do at the temple, and then they went back. Except Jesus wasn't in the caravan on the way back. He stayed back at the temple. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, they found him in a temple. Can you imagine what Mary is thinking, 12 years old, and I lost the son of God? <laughs> I mean, they're human beings, man. So they had to have some kind of angst in their heart as they get back to Jerusalem, not a small place. And sitting in the midst of the teachers, 
both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were what? Amazed. There it is again, right? At his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's house? I had to be in my father's house. And they did not understand the statement to which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. You guys, this is so moving. Because these are real people. This isn't some like fairy story. And she's dealing with the Son of the Most High. She knows it. She's been told by an angel and by shepherds and by Simeon and by Anna. And now these wise old Pharisees and Sadducees, these teachers in the temple, and Jesus is interchanging with them, listening to them and then asking them questions. Why was Jesus doing it? What kind of questions was he? I bet you that was just the very beginning. I'm surmising this. It doesn't say. But that was the very beginning of his teaching. Because didn't Jesus teach by asking questions? And I bet you he was giving them the opening salvos of what was to come when he went into his ministry. Asking them questions to make them think, what are you doing? What do you believe? And everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed. Everywhere Jesus went, he left people with a feeling of wonderment. And one thing is certain when it comes to Christ. Everywhere he goes, there's an intense emotion that accompanies and encounters with him. Whether fear due to the fact that holiness shames sinners and brings them to their knees, or amazement at his wonderful person and exceptional words and wisdom. What is it for you this Christmas? Fear or amazement? We've held him forth through the Advent series of messages and today. We're presenting Jesus to you. I'm preaching Jesus. We would see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus in a fresh and new way. In his words and his great mercy and love. Are you amazed Are you filled with wonder? Are you astonished? And and do you treasure and ponder these things in your heart? Do you think about them during the week? And everything that you've been hearing about him. And then one more thing. In the bulletin today, there's, there's a track. Will you be like the shepherds and share with other people? So what if they just wonder and scoff at you? You've been faithful. Don't you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when you get to heaven? Of course you do. We're providing an opportunity for you to do that. Take that track and give it to somebody and say, hey, read this. Let me know what you think about it. You don't have to be a seminary grad. You don't have to have letters behind your name. If you're a believer, you're in. (laughs) And God the Spirit will use you. Hand it to somebody. Please do that today. 
at your Christmas gatherings. And spread the good news about the Savior that he's been born and he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's our prayer for you. So God bless you and have a Merry Christmas. And be joyful, even in your sadness, okay? God bless you.